Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And as we turn there, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids, preschool age up to third, fourth grade, you can meet in the back for Children's Church. Well, as stressful as yesterday was for Pastor Sean in securing uh, a new rental van to take our kids on the mission trip, I'm kind of glad you're here, and I'm kind of glad the kids are here, so uh, God worked it out the way he wanted to work it out. So even if you're bummed out, students, that you are not uh, driving in a van up to South Carolina today, uh, we're so glad you're here with us worshiping. Well, we're doing a series this summer called The Summer of Hope. If you're new, what we normally do is we kind of pick a, a book of the Bible, and we make our way through that book of the Bible, but... People are kind of in and out, and I'm in and out, and everybody's in and out with the summer, so we're picking a theme, and that theme this summer is hope. This is the summer of hope. We're going through some of the most hopeful passages in all of the scriptures, and this morning we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 3 through 9. This is God's word. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it has been tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the living hope that we have through Jesus We thank you for the inheritance that we have waiting for us in heaven, and we thank you that you, Lord God, are guarding us even now by faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith as we study your word, and we ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, for we, your servants, are listening. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This is a piece of iron ore. Now, if you were to dig, dig this up and sell it exactly as it is, just as it is, it would be worth about $15. Now, I should note that I checked this week, and the price is slowly creeping up, so if you happen to be sitting on large stockpiles of iron ore, I would advise you to hold on to it. Because it may be the only thing that you own which is going up in value. But here's the thing. If you were to take that $15 hunk of iron ore and refine it just a little bit, you could turn that $15 hunk of iron ore into 
four horseshoes, which you could then sell for approximately $30. So you just doubled your money. Congratulations. Have you considered running for Congress? But it gets better. If you were to take that same $15 hunk of iron ore and refine it just a little bit more, you could turn it into sewing needles. Little sewing needles. How many sewing needles? Approximately $3,000 worth of sewing needles. That is a lot of sewing. If you keep going and refine it a little bit more than that, that $15 hunk of iron ore, pounding it into ultra-fine, ultra-thin sheets of iron, you could turn it into watch springs. The kind of watch springs that they use to make Rolex watches. How many Rolex watch springs? $250,000 worth of Rolex watch springs. How do you turn $15 into $250,000? Heat. Pressure. Struggle. Effort. When you refine something that's ordinary... It has the potential to turn into something extraordinary. This morning, we're going to talk about suffering and hope. We're going to talk about how God uses suffering in order to give us hope. We're going to talk about some of the obstacles we face and some of the challenges that God calls us to overcome if we want to live well for the glory of God. Now, I have to admit at the outset of this sermon that this is not my favorite thing to talk about. I don't like to talk about suffering. I don't like to talk about trials and difficulties. I have exactly three things in common with Joel Osteen. First name, a decent head of hair, and my reluctance to talk about suffering. Most of us, if we're honest, want to avoid suffering at all costs because suffering seems to be an indication that something in our lives has gone terribly wrong. Sometimes when I suffer, I think to myself, well, maybe I deserve this. Maybe God is punishing me for something that I've done wrong. Maybe I'm not as strong or as smart or as capable as other people who seem to be just kind of gliding through life with no problems at all. Without hope as an anchor for our souls, suffering can make us angry, bitter, cynical, uh, distrustful, and in some cases, drive us to despair. And so, we tend to push suffering down. We avoid it, we suppress it, we deny it, we try to move past it as quickly as we can. The Apostle Peter tells us that's not the way to handle suffering. Avoidance, denial, deflection, none of that works. There's a better way. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, 
If we cling to the promise of the gospel, that glorious truth that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, then we can rejoice in the midst of suffering because the fires of suffering refine us like gold. Because of Jesus, because of God's great mercy, we can rejoice in the midst of suffering with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How do we do that? How does living hope enable us to suffer well to the glory of God? Well, according to the Apostle Peter in these few short verses, we need to learn five things about suffering and hope. If we want suffering to refine us like gold. If you understand these five things, the fire of suffering will not consume you. If you have living hope, joyful confidence in God's victory over sin and death through Jesus who died and rose again, then suffering will make you like Jesus, who, according to 1 Peter 3.18, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Living hope in our living Savior turns suffering into glory. It turns coal into diamonds. It turns iron ore into Rolex watches. How does that work? Well, let's take a closer look. Here's the first observation. Suffering is a universal problem. Verse 6, Peter writes, In this, in the gospel of God's grace, the good news that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Everyone suffers. Everyone goes through trials and difficulties. There are no exceptions to the rule. Now, that's a hard truth, but we know it's true because Peter was writing to Christians in Christian churches. Now, this is just speculation, but my guess is that when many of these people had come to faith in Jesus Christ, they thought some of the same things that many of us thought when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, all my problems are over. All my issues are solved. Things will just keep getting better and better every day in every way. My whole life will be like a Thomas Kincaid painting from now until the day I die. I'll be happy all the time. Now, ultimately, that's true. Peter says that we have an inheritance in heaven, an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for us. But it's not true yet. It's not true on this side of heaven. On this side of heaven, suffering is very much a part of life. Now, I point this out and camp out here for just a minute or two because I think that there's this strange undercurrent of denial that flows through the Christian community when it comes to suffering. Sometimes, some Christians think, either consciously or unconsciously, we are not supposed to have any problems. We're supposed to have it all together, 
all the time. So when we do have a problem, when we do experience trials and difficulties and suffering, we become like Stepford Christians. These sort of like weird robotic people who act like everything is fine all the time. I call it the disease of fine. And it goes something like this. Uh, Hey, Bob, how you doing? Are you doing okay today? Hey, I'm doing great, Pastor. Doing fine. Everything's fine. Really? Because I heard you lost your job this week. Uh, Got any new leads on something else? Oh, no, I'm good, man. I'm better than I deserve. Everything's fine. It's all good. Well, how's your wife? I heard she was in the hospital last week. Oh, she's fine. I'm fine. Kids are fine. Dog's fine. Everybody's fine. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go scream into a pillow. (laughs) Because that's how fine I am. May I do something for you this morning? I would like to offer you emotional amnesty. From now on, you do not have to be fine. You can say, I am not fine, okay? Now, it'll be weird at first, but I promise you, you can do it. You want to try it? Let's say it with me. I'm not fine, okay? You did very well. I'm not fine. Now, here's the point. Amidst all of our not being fine is to note that everyone has trials. Everyone suffers. It's in the Bible. You are not weird if something is wrong in your life. You're not a failure. It's okay to be not okay. Nobody's okay all the time. Even me. Just ask my wife, Kate. That's a figure of speech. Please don't ask her, okay? (laughs) Here's a second observation. We all suffer in different ways for different reasons. Peter says that these Christians were grieved by various trials. Various trials. Well, what does that mean? It means that all suffering is different. Sometimes suffering is physical. Sometimes we have physical aches and physical pains. Last year, around this time, I got a frozen shoulder. Has anyone had a frozen shoulder? Now, that's a fun part of getting old, is it not? I couldn't raise my hands. I couldn't swim. I I physically hurt when I was giving the benediction at the end of the service. I looked like a scarecrow. One arm was up here, one was kind of down here because uh, it was so jacked up. Not fun. Physical therapy, I do not recommend it unless you have to do it. It, it, Very painful. Now again, that's a relatively minor thing and many of you suffered in far more serious ways over this last year or even in the years before this with all sorts of physical pains. That's hard. Suffering is very, very real. Now, sometimes suffering is mental. Uh, We have mental suffering or mental illness that plagues us or someone that we love. Very serious story. Uh, A good friend of mine, one of my fraternity brothers in college, just kind of around his late 20s, which is when this often happens, uh, started developing signs of paranoid schizophrenia. It was terrible. He, I don't know where he is. He's been homeless on the streets. We called uh, mental hospitals in Dallas, Texas, where he is. They can't bring him in against his will, but the sickness itself tells him that he's not sick. 
And the sickness itself puts him in a state of paranoia where all of his friends and family members who love him, who are willing to pay for his treatment, they all are a threat to him. And so he, he won't go in or uh, concede to go in and have any sort of treatment at all. It's horrible. If you've ever walked through that personally or had a friend or a loved one who has mental illness, that is tremendous suffering. Sometimes suffering is emotional. Sometimes suffering is, uh, is frustration or anxiety or depression. Sometimes it looks like worry or anger or fear. All of this is very painful and is, can be debilitating. Sometimes we suffer because we're sinners. Sometimes our wounds are self-inflicted wounds. Sometimes we reap what we sow. According to the book of Proverbs, if we sow laziness, we will reap poverty. If we sow infidelity, we will reap divorce. If we sow folly, we will reap calamity. Sometimes the reason that we're suffering is because of the person in the mirror. We don't always like to admit that, but sometimes that's true. Sometimes we suffer because people sin against us. Maybe it's our parents or our teachers or pastors or church leaders. Maybe you're suffering this morning because you were in an abusive marriage. Maybe you're suffering this morning because uh, your parents were abusive. Maybe you're suffering because your kids have rebelled against you, and, and that's hard. Maybe you work for somebody who is, is cold and cruel and calculated and uncaring. All of that's very real. Sometimes we suffer specifically because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The Christians that Peter is addressing in this passage were suffering verbally and physically specifically because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, historically, that has not been a huge problem for us in the West, in the United States. I have a feeling that might be changing. I, I hope I'm wrong. But all the apostles experienced this. Jesus experienced this. Remember, Jesus ended his ministry on a cross. And that same Jesus wrote this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. Here's the point. If we assume that all suffering is the same, that everyone who is suffering is suffering for the exact same reason, we will look for one-size-fits-all solutions, which ironically cause more suffering than if we had simply remained quiet and loved the suffering person from a spirit of humility and empathy and compassion. Sometimes suffering is your fault. Sometimes it is absolutely not your fault. Sometimes, frankly, it's Adam and Eve's fault because of their sin, which brought death and pain and, and despair into the world. The world is broken, and we are broken. Everyone suffers, but not all suffering is the same. Here's the third observation. Suffering 
is temporary, but hope is eternal. Peter qualifies everything that he has to say about suffering in this passage with a little phrase, for a little while. He's saying as bad as suffering is, it doesn't last forever. As bad as suffering is, most of us will be able to say in this life that it gets better. This too shall pass. We'll get relief. But here's the promise of the gospel for everyone who believes. Even if it doesn't get better in this life. Even if we are never physically cured from our physical problems. Even if the emotional scars that we experience never fully heal. Even if we never reconcile with the people who have abused us. Even if we never fully reconcile with those who have sinned against us in various ways. The Apostle Peter is reminding us that this world is not all there is. One day, our, hope, our suffering will end because hope is eternal. According to verse 3, we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because of Jesus, our suffering Savior, who died and rose again, we have, verse 4, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who, by God's power, are being guarded by faith for a salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying exactly what Job said. Job, it was probably the most famous sufferer in the whole Bible. He said this, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and he withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. But I know that my Redeemer lives. And on the end, he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Yes, suffering is real. But suffering is unavoidable in this fallen world. But Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, life wins. And grace wins. And love wins. And hope wins. Pastor Gary Inrig puts it like this. He says, living hope is a gift from God. Living hope is grounded in the resurrection. Living hope is guaranteed by God to those who trust in Jesus. Suffering is temporary. Hope is eternal. Ultimately, nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. We know that because Jesus died and rose again. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he will come back again to make all things new. Here's the fourth observation. If you have hope, Suffering can steal your happiness, 
but it can never steal your joy. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Verse 8, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of our trials, we have an avalanche of hope flowing down from the mountain of God's love. Now, how is that possible? Here's another quote by the same pastor, Gary Inrig. I think he really nails, nails it here. He says, Joy is an inner delight that comes from knowing God and knowing the gift of life that God has given in the midst of whatever circumstances surround us. Let me read that again. Joy is an inner delight that comes from knowing God and knowing the gift of life that God has given in the midst of whatever circumstances surround us. Suffering can and often does steal our happiness, but it cannot steal our joy. Happiness is a, a surface level emotion. Joy goes all the way down. Happiness is an outer delight that we experience in pleasant circumstances. Joy is an inner delight that we can experience in any circumstances. Suffering can take away your happiness. It cannot steal your joy. If you have been born again to a living hope, Jesus will restore to you the joy of your salvation. Don't rejoice because suffering is good. It's not. That's not healthy. That, that's pathological. Do rejoice because God is good. That's Christianity. That's what it means to live our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's the fifth observation. Last one. If you have hope, suffering will refine your faith the way fire refines gold. Verse 7. You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes, though it is tested or refined by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we experience a fiery trial, which is how Peter describes suffering in chapter 4, the impurities of our faith melt away so that only the real thing remains. Now think about it this way. Uh, who, do, you know, do you know where the word tribulation comes from? Tribulation. I'll give you a hint. Uh, it's not from those Kirk Cameron movies about uh, the rapture and all that. The word tribulation comes from a Latin word. The Latin word is tribulum. What's a tribulum? A tribulum was a piece of wood that was fastened with sharp stones at the bottom of the wood. Ancient farmers would drag the tribulum over the top of grain in order to separate the wheat from the chaff. 
the kernel from the husk. Now the goal with the tribulum was not to crush the grain, but to strip away everything that was, was surrounding the grain so that only the grain, the real thing, would be revealed. God uses tribulation the same way in our lives, not to crush us, but to refine us, but to strip away everything that is not of faith, to strip away our arrogance, to strip away our idolatry, to strip away our self-centeredness, to strip away our anxiety and our anger and our fear, so that when all is stripped away, all we have is Jesus and the gospel of his grace. Now that's painful at the time, but when everything is stripped away, when, when our trials produce uh, inexpressible joy, we discover that we, when all we have is Jesus, we have everything that we need. Life is hard sometimes. Suffering is a very real part of life. It's not fun. It's not something that we look for. It's not something that we seek out. But it is something that does tend to find us. Even as Christians, even as people who have been born again to a living hope, we experience this challenges and trials but the good news is that we have a hope in jesus that can never be taken away because of jesus because he died on the cross for us in our place because he rose again we have joy that overcomes our sorrow we have life that overcomes even the bonds of death because of jesus we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven because of Jesus, we have full confidence that our sins have been forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have full confidence in the ultimate victory of God's love. Suffering is bad, but God is good. And we have been born again to a living hope. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Lord, I pray that you would give us the freedom to acknowledge the trials and the difficulties that we're experiencing. Lord, may we not be shamed by them but may we see them as instruments in your hand, instruments to, to take away all that we hold on to, instruments to, to show us who Jesus is and what Jesus suffered. Lord, we pray that we would be bonded to him deeper and deeper as we suffer in his name. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' great and holy name. Amen.